0: Welcome to the Disruptive Mindset podcast. Join me, Emma Jones, as we take a deep dive behind the scenes of executives and leaders in the IT and the tech industries. We'll find out about their models for success, lessons they've learned, and what makes them disruptive in their businesses and sectors, and ultimately find out how it can help us. Enjoy. Welcome to the Disruptive Mindset podcast. My guest today, Harvin Hattie, a visionary in the realms of sales growth and business strategy. She's a seasoned executive. Harvin is mastermind at crafting pathways to success in an evolving landscape. She's got a rich tapestry of experience in IT consulting and IT services that brings a unique blend of insight, innovation, and foresight and steering organizations towards unparalleled growth. Today, we explore the depths of business acumen with Harvind, diving into discussions that ignite ideas, inspire action and induce change. Now, whether you're an inspiring entrepreneur, a business veteran or simply an enthusiast of groundbreaking strategies, she will help you understand and reshape your perspectives. And I'm gonna dive straight into questions. So welcome Harvind. So Harvin, thank you. And can you share a little bit about your background and how you started in sales and this growth leadership role?
1: I can, Emma, look, um, before I go into me, I'm really glad to be here and just looking forward to to the general conversation. Um, but now the worst bit, talking about myself <laughs> um and my journey. Um look. I started off, I'm as old as the internet back in the nineties. And I've been very careful in proactively building a career portfolio that has really traversed what was the internet is now digital um, into really what is the next future relevant operating model. So I've come from a world that has gone from core strategy consulting, digital agency, to IT services, and also um, taken a long um, walk and eaten my own dog food on being on client side (laughs) and um, building and setting up digital businesses globally on client side. So I've been forced to see the world um, from um, that perspective as well. But I think what's been really important for me in that um, career portfolio is actually, working with different shapes and sizes of organizations. So organizations in IT services that have been under 1 billion and you're trying to get it to a billion and you're looking at you know, making yourself attractive for M&A to IT service organizations and running and growing portfolios that are at 12 billion dollars and running and managing, scaling, growing, understanding how you um, become relevant and are fit for purpose there. But at the same time, um, you know, working and living um, in different cultures has been most important to me because at the end of the day, despite where you're working uh, and what role you're in, uh, whether, you know, I've been running a sales portfolio, running transformation, or running a PL um, on client side. Um, you know, the experience I've had in working and living in uh, Germany, living and working in Europe or in the US has really um, changed my perspective on how you get things done. Every culture, every organization um, has its own paradigms and you really need to spend time in understanding um, how you work with people, whether it's um, client side, whether it's in IT services, the culture is the um, driver of failure and is the driver of success. So, um, you know, across my career and across the many charters I've run and owned, um, the exposure to different shapes of organizations and, you know, where they've been located has been really important um, for me.
0: And I think, I mean, I think that's really interesting because what's coming through loud and clear is that the, you know, you've had many different experiences of many different cultures um, within uh, lots of different sizes of organizations. And I mean, so so what would you say that has shaped your approach to sales um, and, uh, you know, helps you navigate some of these difficult, challenging times that we've had? Yeah, so... You know,
1: something to get off my, my chest is I really dislike the word sales, okay? Um, quite frankly, because I think in particular, the world that we're in right now, if we just look and step back um, and I'll unpack that statement of why I don't like the word sales is, you know, we're at a moment in time and let's just look at um, demand patterns. Demand patterns now um are are changing, right? Technology is changing the recipe ingredients that we have to to use. Whether it's AI, cloud, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, there's a lot more we can be doing, but at the same time, you know, let's look at the deals. You know, deal patterns are more bell shaped, right? Deals are getting larger. They're um, more multi-service, more multi-capability. Therefore, they're more complex. So. The traditional idea of selling, um, that playbook has to change. You're no longer selling, you're ultimately, um, in a large deal, being the orchestrator of fundamental and profound change, an extension of almost their ecosystem. So the trust and confidence um, that is needed is built on a very different type of person at the front, Um, And therefore, I don't necessarily call it sales. I really call it a trusted advisor, a trusted orchestrator to manage these new um, equations around, you know, multi-tower and larger deals, more business impact driven um, solutions for the customer. So going back to your original question then on, you know, what has been, um, you know, my success and Uh, My recipe in looking at sales is really being um, the orchestrator um, that is building trust and accountability um, for a customer. And how you go about doing that is beyond a traditional sales profile. Um, One can't think um, in a siloed um, perspective anymore. And the way I look at it is almost like a compass, you have to be at the midpoint of a compass where you're thinking high and thinking low, you know, looking at the north star of the customer, all right, and strategically understanding their reasons why and what benefit, looking at the feasibility and viability of the various execution scenarios, whether it's across process, technology, etc. But then looking east and west in terms of you know which partners which um, units you need to bring on board across your organization. So you have to be in the midpoint of that compass. Um, Therefore, you know, from a sales perspective, that brief has changed. And I think success in that brief means putting yourself in the midpoint of that compass to think high and low, north and south, and to think east and west in that asymmetric exercise that's needed to bring um, people together.
0: So I mean that's that, that that you know from you, I mean, if you unpick what you've just said, I mean there was an awful lot there, but I suppose what's come up for me through that is have you because you've been in this industry a long time, have you seen it evolve with the type of people um that you need to go out and and uh speak to the tops of you know all the ceos of companies now are you are you trying to, are you going to see the talent change i'm just curious about that within within the market
1: are yeah ta-
0: is it going to take a different i suppose what i'm trying to say is it going to take a different type of person to sell in this complex market
1: absolutely yes um and have things changed i think everything has changed and nothing has changed it <laughs> depends on uh, it really depends on um you know, who you are as an organization. That's why the shape and culture really matters, right? I go back to the beginning yeah. of, of my monologue, as it were. Um, you know, you have organizations that have been comfortable in taking what the market and um, is going to give them and um, letting clients dictate um, who they are, letting clients dictate what their growth paths are going to be. And that's quite a dangerous game if you take what's there in front of you and you use that to keep feeding and growing yourselves. The market investors um, aren't stupid. They're looking right now for future-proofed operating models right from what your sales structure is, what your cost models are, how lightweight are you, how nimble are you, what are your delivery um, platforms and are you investing in them progressively and proactively rather than letting the client be the orchestrator of internal change Mm -hmm. therefore um, a lot has changed i'm seeing organizations that have traditionally just met demand and let that growth and their growth be more organic now more proactively and more aggressively Um, changing who they are but that's tough right that is systemic organizational change that requires a blood transfusion Mm. Uh, but they're undergoing that um, Mm. I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it's you know how they can accelerate that change given where we are and giving given now some of the demand patterns that are larger you know no longer the Um, hundred million type um, type deals but the you know hundreds of millions of type deals that they need to be ready for Mm. in terms of trust and confidence and capability equations they need to to build in front of customers.
0: Mm. Interesting so from your vantage point um, of of the industry and and the market conditions um, what what do you think's influenced in the industry especially as we've had a A sort of a slowdown in the IT services business you know coming into 2024 what what do you see how do you see that shaping up
1: yeah um I may be kicking myself in 18 months (laughs) (laughs) on what I say now but look underlying I'm really really Um, pessimistic. There you go. I'm optimistic and pessimistic. Um, No, I'm I'm optimistic. Yes, there's a slowdown, but demand hasn't gone away, right? Um, And what I mean by that is everyone uh, from the demand side, client side, is aware of what it's going to take for them to be fit for purpose. It's now a matter of timing. Let's just look at the last four years and where we are now. Last four years, we've had COVID. We've had work from home. We've had boom in terms of stepping up to some of, um, you know, what's required to enable um, all of that hybrid ways of working, whether you're on client side and and in IT services. So we've had boom. And now we've had a softening, but let's look at that softening, right? It's the macro conditions um, that we have in front of us. We have, you know, two wars. We have extreme high inflation. You know, I think oil prices just over the last week were set to drop and now overnight suddenly they've increased again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have a massive election year. You know, we have election year next year, most likely in the UK, in the US, in India. So this, these conditions are all leading to a softening. But it's a matter of time when demand will come back. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm anticipating that the second half of next year, we will see a beginning, you know, the green shoots of new growth. But let's go back to the problem that customers are sitting on right now. The problem that the customers are sitting on right now is the need to be more engaged, intelligent, connected, fast, you know, with a greater clock speed, of capability in their organizations, that has not gone away. Mm. And so, you know, the first thing they really need to start doing is, you know, tr- in a, with a traditional more strategic mindset, you know, um, hat on is start divesting parts of their portfolio that they struggled to transform themselves and enable that transformation through, you know, new types of IT service providers, So that is the demand. That's where those large deals are going to come from, right? New types of managed services um, uh, requirements, Mm -hmm. um, demanding more business impact rather than being driven just by IT priorities alone. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a huge opportunity. That is still there. Just how you tackle it now is going to be less around only labor arbitrage models. But more around how you're viewing that move to manage services, driven by business impact, supported by new platforms, supported by new IT services, a new capability that is supporting a new clock speed for that customer, mm. and you're behaving in a way. Why are those large deals getting bigger? Is you know sitting on you know previously on client size uh, client side is It's not just about, I don't want too many partners. It's ultimately that I need an ecosystem where the span of accountability is easily managed. It's very clear. And I'm going to be doing in my future, less change and less run. I'm going to be doing lightweight interventions continuously. Mm. Right? So therefore, in the context of lightweight interventions continuously because that's where i need to go right i need partners and i need a strategic partner that can really build that underlying capability for me and operate it with me alongside me so all of that thinking um, is packaged into these large deals um, that we're going to be seeing so i'm very Optimistic that yes, we have a softening, but demand hasn't gone away. It, it'll come back. It'll come back with a, a slightly different shape mm-hmm. in terms of you know who and what um, is required to win it, right? Going back then into the sales equation.
0: Yes, yeah. So I'm hearing that um it's going to come back in a in a in a different shape and size and that you need to invest in your ecosystem around you and there's not going to be such larger deals going on, but but a lot of smaller deals. And it's where you invest your, your time and energy. So if you're sitting at the top of a a company as a chief growth officer, where do you, where do you spend your, where, where do you invest your energy coming into 2024? Yeah. So let
1: me just, um, um, course correct. I see a lot more larger mega
0: deals, Oh. Okay, sorry, I misheard that. So, okay, yeah. that's interesting. Okay, yeah.
1: that goes back into clients wanting a larger span, needing a larger span of control, right? Clearer accountability, mm-hmm. um, much broader transformations needed as they create more connectivity points between infra applications, their processes. Mm. Uh, therefore, packaging that in under more managed services uh, types of deals. So, I think. Therefore, there, there there's going to be more room for mega deals, um, and less kind of smaller smaller types of uh, deals. And in that context, therefore, you know, if you're wearing a chief growth officer hat, you know, what do you need to do, right? What how do you yeah. how do you present yourself um, to the market? Now going back into you know what? What clients ultimately need? Um, you always have to be on the client side. If you're a, if you're a chief growth officer, who are you really supporting? You're we- you're wearing and walking in the shoes of the customer, where you really need to be able to support and understand their risks, their opportunities, you know, who and how they need to build internal sponsorship within their own organization, how they build their state of readiness, um, and how you co-develop with them. So walking in their shoes, therefore, and understanding and seeing all of that, means as a chief growth officer on the IT services side, um, you're really looking at a new growth recipe and a new growth equation. And understanding, I would say, three things. One is, what are the channels that are going to be driving your growth? And are those channels the same as they were a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. And if you look at those channels to growth, you know, you have the advisor led channel, you have the partner channel, and then you have your own organic channel. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep M&A out of it for the moment. Mm-hmm. But let's just say those three inorganic channels. I think the, um, Advisor channel is going to be huge, right? Advisor led deals is going to probably be one of your most important channels to market. Um, I equally think though, that proactively co-developing solutions and seeking the opportunity together with customers is going to be the other next channel that um, as a chief growth officer, you need to prepare your own organization to seek and serve. Um, And that is quite a fundamental change, because now you're not uh, sending flotillas of of hundreds of individual salespeople to your customer and selling in piecemeal, right? If you're proactively developing a stronger, confident message where you are fit for purpose for that problem statement, then you're gang tackling the advisory channel, you're gang tackling a problem statement with a client together, mm. so it's less piecemeal, less fragmented, more co-developed, um, solutioning at the front, um, and that goes back into a new playbook um, for for an organisation in terms of how you go to market.
0: So how do you how do you pivot then an organization? Like you've got a large organization, and they're like big monsters. These large organizations—they're difficult to change. They're you know they're, they're difficult to. It's like a big ship that's going out to sea that takes a long time to turn around. I mean, so 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 how do you pivot an organization that's been you know very delivery focused into a more um, you know consultative, solution led, outcome based type approach?
1: Yeah. I'm going to give a response from lessons learned the hard way, right, um, from um, success and from failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's always been a propensity to define change as something that um, drops slowly and you know happens very centralized and um, is very big. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes, if you want to be bold, it's, it's all of the above. But i rather see it in, in, in um, two speeds. Um, I think right now, here and now, with, you know, if I look at it as a wall, you've got to look at the terrain in front of you, right, and um, judge the terrain and judge the conditions in front of you. Right now, here and now, you need to be really nimble. You need to be more collaborative. You need to be more innovative. You need to be more involved with your customers. So to do that right here and now, the first part of change is to give accountability right at the coalface. Face. And what I mean by giving accountability right at the coalface means that to create that agility, to create that teaming, create that gang tackling, then give it to the people that own it right at the sales front, the sales leaders who are responsible for that PL, for that success, because trying to create that... Um, let's say conceptually from, you know, high above is gonna take time. Mm. So first is be fast and give accountability in order to create agility and create impact fast to the coalface. face. And the coalface face, not in sales, but also in delivery because that is the also the most important um, element of, of where change needs to occur. Um, so as well as giving accountability to the coalface. face, Then centrally systemize and elevate um, aspects of um, support that will make things more faster, effective, and better. Um, If I look at the best deals, the best delivery, uh, and the best outcomes I've created for customers, um, it's never just been in selling, you know a 250 million or a $500 million deal one time. It's being able to do that four or five times. And therefore, part of the changes over the longer term is investing in the areas that will enable taking something that is unique and scaling it. And that means investing in areas where, let's say, for managed service deals, you're not just doing it one time and it's a unique template for one industry or one vertical or one use case area, but you're underpinning it with reference architectures, systems thinking, schemas, platforms, delivery methodologies that can scale it and then supports profitable selling, profitable delivery at the end of the day, because ultimately the challenge with, an IT, with IT services is that if everything is unique, growth will never be profitable. And so underlying that equation goes back into the top of our conversation, mm. is where the challenge is for some organizations is some organizations have allowed the customer to always organically evolve themselves, and that has to change. Mm-hmm. Right? And you need to start investing ahead of the curve now in all of the things that I've just said in terms of how do you systematically change and transform an organization to make it faster, more effective, better. But that does mean investing in some of the schemas in delivery and some of the patterns that will support, scaled selling and scaled delivery in new ways.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's going to be really interesting uh, coming into um, 2024 because there's a lot of ambiguity about, you know, I mean, it's just like, as you said earlier, that the oil prices have changed. Well, we were all expecting them to go down. So so what are you what's your advice um, with coming into 2024 around? dealing when you're at the top of a company i always think it's a bit more lonely really because you're the one making the decisions right and you're the one sort of you know putting the strategy in so what's your advice coming into 2024 around ambiguity how do you cope with it how do you how do you make decisions around that i think it's important
1: to understand that ambiguity is probably the new normal Mm. for this industry and I'm going to go back to wearing a client hat for for the moment, and then I will answer your question directly. Because in accepting that we're living in a, a world that is increasingly, you know, unpredictable, more volatile, we don't know. Um, let's unwrap that because even from a customer perspective, that's their context too. You know, there's huge supply chain risk um there's huge financial risk now within all of that risk there's also a need to you know look at your business process management to look at your risk management to look at your forecasting to look at you know how you can predict and mitigate risk across so many vectors whether it's in cyber supply chain your financial risk your technology risk all of the recipe and ingredients we have today, with machine learning, AI, data, cloud, enables you now to manage risk more effectively. Mm-hmm. So you need to do that from an IT services supply, uh, side too. So the first thing I would be looking at, you know, just separ- separating out how you go to market in this environment is start eating your own dog food around how you're managing your own demand and supply s- supply chain systems more. Right. Um, at the end of the day, um, better forecasting on what is happening, how you're hiring, who you need to hire, um, is something that um, one needs to get in top of as a priority. Right. That is a health indicator of your own operating model. But now to your question on, you know, how you go about selling. How how do you deal with this market um, where it's softening? Um again, demand isn't going away. It's a great time to be demonstrating uh, from a customer perspective um, and supporting their readiness. Um, and you know, beginning to be in the middle of that compass, right? And working on that north star, on that north star, that high thinking, right? Maybe it's not the time um, that they're ready to look at the low thinking in terms of their execution, but focusing on, you know, the the orchestration points and really what is um, happening next. Um, A lot of customers right now, for example, um, you know, we all know, right, are are tackling and wondering um, around AI, you know, and it's worth touching touching upon that because, you know, I have my own controversial opinions around AI. Um, I think that, you know, there's gonna be, it's gonna be very similar to actually what happened in digital. You know, you know, five, 10 years ago, we had a lot of digital labs, a lot of digital experiments going on, um, but did anything really happen, right? It took a lot of time for stuff to happen. So what the emphasis I'm making here, is, it's not just about the technology. So it's simply not just about AI. I'm seeing a lot of clients doing a lot of experimentation, right? In a way, it feels to me it's a lot of experimentation driven by FOMO, fear of missing out, experimentation, rather than having very clear end business objectives. Mm. So I think that it's going to take time for customers first to understand what do we do with this technology and where is the most impact for us operationally, for our growth, for mitigating risk, you know, where where really are the the use cases and benefits? So that is one, you know, is the, the use cases underlying the technology and where is it worth it? And then secondly, it's really understanding the non-technology bit regarding AI. It's it, the non-technology bit I really mean you know, to go from pilot to scale, you've understood where the business value is, you know, against you know all your options, it's really understanding, do I have the right operating model to make this persuasive across my organization? Because if you go back to what made digital persuasive, it never really came out of labs, it came out of the boardroom at the end of the day, right? It came out of then, you know, the digital by default strategies, <laughs> we are going to do this. And to make it persuasive, to make AI persuasive, really, it means that from a customer maturity angle, you need to be comfortable with what does this mean for me understanding my risk, me understanding where the impact is on my operating models in terms of people, in terms of my processes. Do I know and can I benefit from this if I'm willing to own that and execute it. Mm. Otherwise the business value won't be realized. Mm. So the non-technical aspects of AI are equally important the mm. whole operating model piece. Mm. So therefore I think that you know, right now, going back to your questions, there's a lot of work to be done um, in AI alongside, let's say the technical aspects around the strategy, operating model, change management, to help customers begin that realization point. Mm. And stepping back just for a moment again, um, how can you read the room if you're an IT services to understand is a customer ready? And how can I help a customer um, understand whether they have the conditions of success? For me, a good indicator is, is, is automation or persuasive in their organization yet because automation is almost the first carrier of the operating model, the business model that is required for an organization to signal that I can actually execute the benefit of automation. I can actually execute the benefit eventually of AI because I'm able to the right sizing in my process the right sizing in my people model in my opex shapes as much as my growth and differentiation um, shapes ready so if you're reading the room and understanding conditions of success you know i think clients that have embedded automation you know have really embraced that are probably the going to be the first movers to go from AI as experimentation to AI at scale? Mm.
0: I I mean, honestly, that there is so much in there. And I think that, um, I'll have to re-listen to this to unpick it <laughs> and take loads of stuff out. You can of can this again. But I, I heard so much, and I think that the one thing um, that I'm going to pick up on is that FOMO bit, right? Because being a small business owner, you think, oh my god, we've got to stay ahead of technology, and you then you try and implement it, even though we're a small firm. If you don't bring the people along with you, then it's just absolute waste of money because people don't adopt it and they don't, you know, and they don't pick it up. So I think all of the, you know, the fact that you've got to have change management in there, you've got to have a proper business strategy. And I love that bit about, you know, asking the questions before is is your customer ready to to have what we are selling, I think is absolutely um absolutely key i wonder how many people do that you know i think it's uh really interesting so what would be your advice to um people listening to this coming into 2024 looking at the strategy looking at where we go what do we implement what are, what what are, what what are what are the quick wins for us coming coming into the into the new year i mean because there's a lot to do
1: i absolutely I'm just going to struggle answering that question in terms okay. of quick wins.
0: I did, okay. I did, swipe you with that question. No, that's fine. Right.
1: <laughs> um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a go because if we knew the recipe, I think you know everyone would be winning. But let's look at the characteristics, right? Um, you know, what are the characteristics of um, a quick win? What are the characteristics, even for the long term, because they're probably the same, right? You know, a characteristic of a quick win is being the left or the right-hand person for your customer. Um, the quick wins will come through that, mm. right? Equally, being the left and right-hand um, person of your customer um, for the long term, that was pro- that proactive deal shape will happen. You know, the large deal shape will happen. So the characteristic you're really looking for <laughs> right now is you know, am I, as an IT services organization, um, sending out you know hundreds of go-to-market people with individual quotas on cloud sales, IT sales, engineering sales, consulting sales? But who really is in the center? Who is my orchestrate in the middle of that compass for my customer? Who is it? If I don't know that, and I if I cannot, as an organization, name, you know, um, you know him or her, and who has that accountability, then I'm going to be very stuck in the short term, and in the long term. Um, and those are unique individuals, um, believe me, uh, because they're carrying a lot of cognitive load, a lot of complexity, um, and have to be brave, brave souls, right, mm. because you're carrying the accountability, of huge targets. um, But you're also carrying the responsibility on behalf of your customer. Mm. Uh, So within that, I think that in the future, um, everything changes and nothing changes, the soft skills will prevail. Mm. If you're coming into this now, you can be the greatest technical expert in the world. Um, and they'll always be needed, but then first and foremost, you must have the soft skills to build that trust and confidence equation, and be ca- willing to carry that cognitive load.
0: I think that's that that that's really solid and sound um, advice, actually. And uh, I've loved talking to you today, and I, and I think you you you've you've said so much in a really short period of time. That, that is you know everything that comes out of your mouth is so sensible <laughs> i have to be completely honest um it's been really really nice talking to you one last question for you if you were to pick anybody to come on this podcast somebody that you think okay i'd really like to hear um what they've got to say i know i'm again sidetracked you with this question but is there anybody that you would recommend or like to hear
1: Is is this one of those um, dinner party questions? Must they be alive or can I request (laughs) someone who's passed? (laughs) Yeah,
0: you could request anybody.
1: Yeah, you know what? Um, I think that hearing from one of the founders of an IT services organization um, would be fantastic because Mm. they've straddled scale. They've straddled having to innovate from being X to being Y. Mm-hmm. And now are having to really think about what happens next. Right. And I think that if you're a founder, and you're have gone from selling your first dollar to now selling your next billions, those are really unique individuals, unique leaders. Mm. I would love to hear from them. But equally CEOs that have had to run founder-led organisations. Mm. Yeah.
0: I think that I think that would be super interesting. I'll do my best <laughs> to try and hoodwink one on, on onto the uh, disruptive podcast. I think that would be really interesting, actually. You could ask them some very deep questions. But thank you so much for uh coming on this podcast today I think we've got so much um from what you've had to say and uh yeah we we shall uh we shall um I shall really look forward to releasing this good
1: thank you Emma